Hello everyone, I'm Simon Ford of Forge Gin. Martinis, gin and tonics, Negronis, great classic cocktails is what I'm about. But I also love to hear of great recipes from great bartenders from around the world, which is why we've partnered with Beyond the Drink for this season. Cheers. Well, you just heard from the man himself, Simon Ford, and this season of Beyond the Drink is presented by Ford's Gin. I'm Cappy, and this is a segment where some of the best bartenders in the country explain the stories and recipes behind their favorite drinks. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Drink is a production of Beyond the Plate. All right, everyone, for this episode, we're talking with Jade Marley from New York City. You can find her on Instagram at jademarley.drinks. That's at J-A-H-D-E-M-A-R-L-E-Y dot D-R-I-N-K-S. Jade is going to walk us through a tasty sounding green cocktail. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with Jade Marley. All right, Jade, tell me more. Tell me more. I want to learn about this cocktail. What's up? All right, cool. Yeah, I call this cocktail. I'm tasting something green. Um, really, the genesis of the name lies in one of the main ingredients, arak, uh, which is an anise-based um, spirit. And for me, I kind of struggle with anise because it can go really deep into this black licorice kind of world, or it can get really green and kind of rival like tarragon and fennel. And I like those green notes. So whenever I'm dealing with arak, uh, which I'll speak a little bit more about in a moment, I really like to guide it into that green territory, um, hence the name. So this drink is half ounce gin, half ounce arak, three quarter ounce your favorite genipi, three quarter ounce falernum. We're going to muddle that into half of a ripe kiwi and get three quarters of an ounce fresh squeezed lemon juice and an ounce of cucumber juice in there. So first we're going to place the kiwi in the shaker and smash it into a puree. Then we're going to add the arak and muddle it a little bit more just to really allow those those anise flavors to, to come alive. After you add the rest of the liquids into the shaker, you're going to place ice in there and give it a really hard shake. When you shake it hard, you're going to fluff up the kiwi and it's going to give it a really nice texture. Next, you pour over some crushed ice. It's a dirty pour. We want to keep that kiwi and that texture all in there. Um, and garnish with a cucumber slice, a lemon peel, and a kiwi wheel. This drink is really playing with some of my favorite ingredients behind the bar uh, in general. Uh, I love gin. One of the, I guess, more positive parts of uh, a very violent world history is, you know, gin and all of the different cultures that um, the English really came into contact with and the different botanicals and the different flavors that we are able uh, to really see represented in gin from different regions. So I just, I love playing with it and its ability to really play off of anything that you put in there. It's, it's surprising when you see the notes that gin can pull out of it. And lately I've really been uh, geeking off of Arak because I work, um, I work in import and distribution and I've been working with Terrasenta Wine Beer in Iraq. They are bringing in wine and spirits and beer from the Middle East, uh, specifically the Levant. And with everything that's going on lately, the way that I really explore history and explore the world and explore politics is through alcohol. It, it's, it's there. <laughs> so I've been playing with Iraq a lot and the thought that it is an ancient spirit, an ancient distillate. And you can really start to trace the roots and the uh, migration 
of the alchemists and the original distillers um, and find their way to the Levant and to the Middle East. So just just taken with this, uh, it can sometimes be kind of overwhelming for folks. It is not like Sambuca, super syrupy and, and viscous. It is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a grappa that is flavored with this anise to help it kind of go down smoother. So hence the, the half and half split. And then uh, the genipi, I love alpine liqueurs and especially when speaking about trying to pull green notes out of something a genipi uh will always do that <laughs> not only the color but the herbs that are naturally unused in the genipi i happen to be from the caribbean uh, my family is jamaican but falernum is barbadian in its origins um, and it's really a house mix of various caribbean spices for me when i think of these spices star anise or star clove as some islands call it is prevalent. So when I'm thinking of the Arak and playing with the Arak and not wanting to overwhelm anybody with this 50% alcohol spirit, the lower ABV Falernum really plays nice with that. Kiwis happen to be in season right now. My neighborhood is littered with them and they are just so delicious. And, you know, cucumber is actually, I don't want to say traditional, but it's common to see an Arak uh, with a little bit of cucumber. And I knew I wanted to play with cucumber and, you know, I'm a very seasonal drinker and knowing that kiwi is in season, I, I just was kind of smelling them one day and I'm like, oh my God, this smells like it would complement cucumber so well. Um, so this was just a way for me to kind of plan all of that. And of course, wanting the flavors to really come across and to not be, you know, either uh, too penetrated by acid, um, I choose to use lemon juice and not lime. Um, and all that being said, you know, I work for an importer, I work for in distribution, and I make these drinks for other people. I make these drinks to really uh, allow the ingredients to shine. So that's kind of the genesis of the cocktail and, and where it's coming from. And something else just to think about with Arak is, although it may be a bit surprising to a Western palate or sometimes a bit overbearing, it's actually consumed as a palate cleanser in the Levant in between all of your meze dishes and in between courses. So just also kind of prompts me to think of what our palates are conditioned to be used to. Just the thought that this goes so well with Middle Eastern cuisine. It just, it, it's a really interesting cultural study. I love it. God, you explained that so well. Thank you. You know, you said something interesting. I always like to try and see where a bartender draws inspiration from, like, you know, from flavors, aromatics, whatever it may be. Um, and you were saying how are you are now, it's kind of littered, you know, it's seasonally littered with kiwis, which you don't hear a lot. Where do you find inspiration generally when you're when you're mixing flavors? Did I read you? You you say you're a flavor junkie. Did I'm I see that? I'm a flavor junkie. Yeah, okay. Yes, proud, <laughs> <laughs> self-proclaimed. I usually start with one base ingredient. So for this drink, it was arak. I'm also a sommelier, so if I'm cooking, I actually try wine first and I build flavor around it, and then after I decide what that one ingredient that I really want to work with is. I uh, go with my nose. I am, you know, as I'm shaking, I smell. As I'm imagining ingredients, I'll kind of pass the bottles through and just make sure that the aromatics click in. Uh, and that's definitely where I draw my inspiration. I'm also the person who's like, really annoying because you can't fill my glass because I want it. I want to smell it, but I'm not drinking it. I'm not there yet. Just let me enjoy the aromatics, you know? Yeah, I love it. Talk to me about a dirty pour, something I don't see all the time, but I, I think I picked up on it as you explain. But talk to me about that. Uh, yeah, so I am 
all about texture. And I'm also a little mm, intolerant of uh, dairy products. So that really causes me to play with the idea of texture when I want something foamy, when I want something fluffy. And with that, I find that there are certain fruits that maybe have this almost gelatinous texture when they're crushed. And kiwi is one of them. Plums is another. Yeah, I mean, kiwis and plums add this really cool kind of fluffy texture. But the trick here is you have to skin them first. Like if we think about muddle blueberries or raspberries or something like that, it's the skins that get caught in your teeth that you really want to filter out. But if you're peeling these things first, actually leaving the fruit in, especially if you allow, allow the ice to really whip it, can do something quite interesting to uh, a cocktail. I got it. Hence the dirty pour and the hard shake. Yes, they're coupled. Right. And something else that I like to do, especially when I'm doing a dirty pour, which is, you know, uh, pouring the entire shaker into a glass rather than shaking it is uh, especially when I'm dealing with crushed ices, I put a little bit of crushed ice down, I do the dirty pour and then I top with some crushed ice. So that way, if you decide to, you know, uh, drink the whole cocktail, you're not sifting through fruit <laughs> with your lips or your teeth. Yeah. Got it. Awesome. I love it. Shade, so a big part of this podcast and our companion podcast, Beyond the Plate, is about giving back to the community and a lot of chefs and restaurateurs and food personalities and, and I say bartenders also give back in their own way. So I would love to give you a moment to shed some light on a, on a cause or a specific organization or multiple ones that you'd like to talk about, raise awareness for. You're smiling. So I'm your smiling gets me excited about what you may start to talk about. Well, it's just funny because when I share everything that I do that is like community based, I sound like a crazy person. I think that's a good thing. You know why? I'm just going to, before you even start, I remember there's a couple people. Well, everybody who we've ever done this with, 100 plus episodes, talks about how they give back. But specifically, there's a couple people that come to the top of my head. One is. Valerie Bertinelli. I think Tiffany Thiessen also talked about this. And I think Amberell also talked about this. And I, I think it was at least two of the three of those apologized to me for getting so pissed off about talking about how they get back. I was like, don't apologize to me. You're amazing. And I'm glad you're using your voice and getting pissed off and, and you know, using your voice for good. So not saying you were about to get pissed off, but shoot, I'm excited to hear well, I do all of these things because I am tired of getting pissed off and it could feel like you are carrying a big old burden when you do things on your own. But if you are within community with people and you have people to lean on and kind of discuss these things, that anger tends to uh, be transformed into love and into action. And I realized that very early on. So I am currently a sommelier that will not let go of my bartender reins. <laughs> so I do a lot of work both in the wine and spirits world. I understand that there are ways that you can give money. I understand that there are ways that you can give exposure. But in my journey towards where I am, it was really a person-to-person -person connection that I was missing, that I was searching for, specifically amongst other uh, Black women, other people of color, that I really felt would have made this journey not only easier for me, but less traumatic. There were various points in my career when I was really just about to be done. And it would have been a shame because I love this and I'm pretty good at it. So with with that in mind, I do a lot of peer-to-peer, person-to-person, actively in the community-based work. So that being said, 
you know, from the time I was promoted from a waitress to a bartender and then, you know, a bartender up to a SOM, I've always really believed in the power of upward mobility in your workplace. I realized from a very young age in this industry, the financial empowerment that was just right there, whether it be by tips or whether it be via getting to travel in order to study these these spirits and these grapes. I really always wanted to afford that to other people each time I kind of notched up. So that being said, on the spirits end of things, I am currently involved with my partner and our friend Kelvin Oufre. Uh, my partner's name is Keegan Joseph. And we founded the Ideal Bartender Collective, which is essentially us just sharing our resources with our community, whether it be books, whether it be insights, whether it be somebody that we can connect you to to get product for your event, whether it just be moral support. Um, we're in there. We're all of Caribbean descent and really came together out of a sense of frustration that our ancestral products were being sold without considering Caribbean people the authority on these Caribbean products, which is a pretty significant point of frustration. In addition to that, I work with the Hue Society, which is a wine-centric, Black-centric community of wine drinkers. Um, we, of course, are open to all folks, but when we are studying wine, when we are speaking about wine, we tend to do, through, do so through a Black American lens, which is just fantastic. We have chapters in quite a few cities and are actively expanding. Shout out to our founder, Tahira Habibi, who is just like relentless in the work that she does. Um, and coupled with that is the Roots Fund, which is a nonprofit that grants multiple scholarships per year uh, to Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are wanting to either further their wine education or attend a wine certification course, or go to wine business school, or go to UC Davis. It's like whatever you want to do within wine and you need money for, you can go to the Roots Fund and they will provide it. Is, it's amazing. And then finally, I collaborate with Industry Sessions, um, which is a natural wine study for BIPOC. I actually hosted a rum class through Industry Sessions last December where we really spoke about sugarcane as the base of a lot of Caribbean culture, but also this idea that Caribbean people are part of the terroir that gives birth to rum, and just the idea that there are people who feel almost related to this cane because their people have been harvesting it for generations. So that was a really spiritual and intimate experience. And between those three organizations, I'm well busy. I don't think that you can say, oh, I, I see the impact necessarily, but I feel it each time I interact uh, with another person. And that to me, uh, direct impact is, is pretty important. Love it. Amazing. I was reading in your bio is saying you're actively working to disrupt the beverage industry from a space of love for people and cultural ownership and explain more. Or? Absolutely. I think that, you know, that industry sessions that we did on rum is a perfect example, but it goes far beyond that. You know, there was a time where I felt very uncomfortable in tasting rooms, whether it was wine, whether it was spirits, whether it was rum, because not only did I not see myself reflected physically, but I didn't hear anybody else with the same tasting note references. I wasn't encouraged to pull from my experiences as much as I was encouraged to think within a box. 
Um, and that did nothing for my professional growth. And when I say I'm disrupting from a place of love, I think that needs to stop out of love for people who want to come in and who want to feel comfortable. And also, like, it's, it's, it's not just rum. I mean, let's think of all of the spirits that come from Central and South America. Who, who's representing those spirits? Whose voices do we hear? And if the people who are putting in the labor to birth these spirits don't look like the people who are representing these spirits, we have a bit of a problem. And I think that's where my voice and, you know, what I choose to disrupt really lies in. Love it. You have mentioned you went from server to bartender to sommelier. What got you interested in the wine world? And follow up to that, is there something from the bartending world that you use in the wine world or vice versa? Is there something from the wine world that you take and use in your mixing of drinks world? Totally. So I actually got into wine and somming because I couldn't land a job as a bartender (laughs) the way that I wanted to. I had a lot of really laborious bar experience. I worked at a lot of sports bars, dive bars, very fast. Um, But me being taken with flavor and me being a very creative person, I wanted in in the craft cocktail world. And I just could not break in. And when I learned that there were certifications that sommeliers could have, and at that point I had 10 years under my belt in the industry, I was like, well, I'm going to get myself one of these certifications and nobody can tell me anything. So that's what I did. Now, that being said, I love spirits. I love bartending and I've never been ready to just denounce that. So I incorporate it very much into what I do. I speak about spirits through a lens that I've learned through my wine training, which is looking at the raw products first, looking at where those come from. I think the wine and spirits world have a lot in common, but for some reason we are in two separate rooms. And by doing that, I think that we're kind of restricting our respective industries. I think there's a lot that we can swap. So in spirits, I think that we can take away you know, the the idea that things start and stop at a distillery, because that's simply not true. And within wine, we can use a little bit of the spirits world, you know, uh, disregard for rules and, you know, embracing of creativity and embracing of like a bespoke experience. And like, let's let's throw that grid away, you know? These liquor reps have something coming to them when they come in to try and sell you something probably, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, tell me about who made this. Yeah. And <laughs> let's really talk about it, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Awesome, this is good, good stuff. Let's do, uh, let's do a little speed round before we close it out. How's that? Cool. All right, name the cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar. I love a French 75. I'm a gin girl through and through and through. I love bubbles. It brings everything together. And I've been making French 75 variations probably since I'm like 21 years old. Nice. <laughs> What's the last cocktail you made at home? What's the name of this cocktail? I taste something green. I made one of those uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> probably before that, it was a daiquiri. I am a, a big daiquiri drinker what pisses you off behind the bar oh flies it's <laughs> <laughs> funny what makes you happy behind the bar when somebody takes a sip and they just light up you know that like there's that moment it's the best for sure and one cocktail every home bartender should have in their repertoire gonna have to be gimlet gonna have to be daiquiri uh you know that citrus sweet play is everything Jade, you're amazing i wish i could stay for like another hour and talk to you about this. I love your point of view on on spirits, on wine, on the industry, on flavors. It's so, so uh, refreshing, you know, and, and eye-opening at the same time. I'm going to um, 
have to look you up next time I, I, I get to New York when, when travel resumes, Please you know, do. a little more. So thank you for taking the time today to talk with us and I look forward to getting this out there. It's great stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate you all for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joe Yetten, and Sean Petrosian. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Kathy.